Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers. I'm going through the book of Revelation, and uh, I'm going to be sharing some very information, to, very important information today that's not going to actually be in uh, Revelation chapter 13, which is where I've been, but it's so directly related to Revelation 13 that I wanted to give it to you, and I'll explain just a little bit more about that as we get there. But the context for today is actually found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> so that's what I will be teaching with as it relates to the Antichrist and uh, the timing of when he will be revealed to the world as who he really is. I think that's very important for us to understand. I don't want to move forward in Revelation going from 13 to 14 uh, chapter 13 to chapter 14, until we take a, a closer look at this one who's being called the Antichrist. So that's what I want to do. Let me give you the context. It's found in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's uh, one of Paul's epistles. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, and I'll go through verse 9. And I don't know if I can actually get all this in, but for the next couple of weeks, we're going to zero in on this one that is called the Antichrist, and see what we can uh, glean from the scriptures on, on this. Uh, here, here's the context, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. The word of God reads, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power, signs, and false wonders. Now, that may seem like a, a bit uh, unusual passage to be reading, but those of you who have uh, studied much of the Scripture at all, especially in prophecy as related to Revelation or even the subject of the Antichrist, know that this very well is tied into Revelation chapter 13. That would be a comparable chapter alongside of this chapter. Now, this book is, uh, the whole point of this chapter particularly, is to bring comfort to the Christians, the believers living at that time, as well as bringing comfort to those reading it at the time in which we're living. But the final benediction to this chapter reads in verse 13, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. So it is a comfort chapter, yet it's a very confusing chapter. Uh, probably at the time it was confusing for the believers, but they are, because that's why Paul wrote this. He wrote this because they were very unsettled and unnerved, and he was calming them down. And so the greater context of this is found in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and, and chapter 5, 
And I don't have time to get into all of the greater context, but I want to get into what is here in chapter 2 as it relates to chapter 13, and specifically as it relates to the Antichrist, of which it is directly related to the Antichrist. So I want to give you that. So as you know, this is a comfort chapter. No matter what you hear people talking about, you are to be comforted with what is being produced here or said here as sound doctrine. We as believers ought to be certain of certain doctrines. One is eschatology, a study of end times. Because as you know, there's a lot of doomsdayers running around out there, a lot of them. And I'm always amazed at how many people who purport to be sensible Christians are selling end time food stuff so that they can survive the tribulation. It's being broadcast on television. I get emails, uh, what foods to store up and to get ready for this terrible times coming upon the world. Well, I've got news for you. If you're a believer, you're not going to need to survive it. We might get some really rough days ahead of where we are now that haven't yet arrived, but they're coming. Uh, but you're not going to be there when all of the judgments of God are poured out in the reign of the and terror of the Antichrist. We're going to be taken out of this world. It's a great way to scare people and raise money on a false pretense uh, is to hit them with bad theology or, or some way that can be uh, deceptive. And that's what this is. That's what these doomsayers are. They're, they're being very deceptive. But those of us who know the Word of God should know that we're waiting for the Lord not to judge the world, but to take us out in what the event is called the rapture of the church. And that's why I said this is part of another text, which is found in 1 Thessalonians, a parallel or a complementary text, that goes along with this comfort here. And so we, we can see that the, this is... Uh, meant to be a word of comfort. It's meant to be encouraging to them. And the reason so is because he says in verse 2, or chapter 2 of, of 2 Thessalonians, verse 1. Now, listen listen to what it says. Now, we request you, brethren, that with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. And so he's addressing that. He's addressing the fact that he's already taught them they are to be sound and sure in the, te- in the teaching that he's already given them. And if you want to know what it is specifically, you could go back and read First, Th- First Thessalonians, specifically chapter 4 and 5. So as we look at this text, I want to uh, I want to try to give it into manageable points. So number one on the outline is number one, he's trying to encourage them to don't be deceived. That word goes out to us today. Well, don't be deceived with all that is out there. You're going to be hearing a lot of things out there. I hear it, and some of you have texted me and, and emailed me, and you tell me the, how sickening it is to hear some of the things you hear. And so I know people are hearing, and I know it's out there, but we're not to be deceived. So number one on the outline, don't be deceived. Look how he says it in verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you. Don't be deceived. Let no one in any way deceive you. And then he says this, For it, referring to the day of the Lord, because they thought they had missed it, that the day of the Lord had come, he said, Don't be deceived, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Now, 
That is the day of the Lord mentioned in verse 2. The day of the Lord is a consummate final judgment. The day of the Lord will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness or the man of sin is revealed, the son of destruction. Don't be deceived. Know that. Know and understand exactly what that means and the timing of that. You see, deception is creating anxiety. It's creating fear. Do not be deceived by bad theology. And I find that uh, many times there's so much bad theology out there that that I guess scares people. And I think that's what scared so many people into not really studying the book of Revelation. But bad theology is, is out there. Let me tell you something. Bad eschatology is bad theology. Eschatology is a word means a study of end times. I, I don't mean to throw what somebody might call a $100 word on you, but bad eschatology is also bad theology. And bad eschatology is deception. Bad eschatology is perhaps as common or more common than any other category of theology that gets misrepresented. People start teaching things and sharing things that they've heard as though it's coming from the Word of God, and it's not coming from the Word of God. So much of what I hear doesn't come from the Bible at all. So the point of this lesson is to let you be aware of what actually is coming from the Bible, so that we can understand a little bit more about this one we're calling the Antichrist. I think it's important for us. Uh, Bad theology, bad eschatology, is as common, uh, being misrepresented. It's a major effort of Satan to cause believers to live in fear because they think they're going to go through this day or they don't know what this day is, or so they have a lot of anxieties built up. So they live in fear, storing up like these doomsdayers to survive divine wrath. That is deception. And so what he's saying is don't be deceived. But then there's number two, and he says don't be forgetful. Don't be forgetful. And then he says that to them, and I can say that to most Christians today because they've heard lessons and good sound teaching, many have, on the book of Revelation or the Antichrist or exactly what's coming. But look how he does it. Look at verse 5, and I'll go from verse 5 backwards to verse 3. Verse 5 says, Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? So after reviewing for a minute, he's, he's letting them know, I've already told you some of these things. The man of lawlessness, lawlessness is spoken of in verse 3. The son of destruction who opposes or exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple displaying himself as even being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? So he's saying, don't be, not only don't be deceived, but don't be forgetful. I was telling you these things while I was still with you. Do you not remember them? I told you the gathering of the saints in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 comes first, the rapture, which is that's what that's referring to. Chapter 4, verses 6 through 18, 16 through 18. And then there is a, where we're going to meet the Lord in the air and we're going to be taken to heaven. And then there is the marriage supper of the Lamb described in Revelation. There's the rewards to believers who have gathered around the Lord and we will always be with the Lord. That's what he has already talked to them about. And he's asking them, do you remember this? So we're out of here in the rapture before the day of the Lord comes. I've taught you this. I've told you about the rapture. I've told you about the day of the Lord, the coming judgment. I've also told you that the day of the Lord would would be marked by the man of lawlessness. Now, I want you to catch this. 
When it says the in, in verse 3, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, both of those names are referring to this one that we're calling the Antichrist. Not an Antichrist, but the Antichrist. The one coming that is referred to in Revelation chapter 13 as the beast out of the sea. And so this is all, these are words that, that all refer to the Antichrist. Interestingly, that it does refer to the same person. Daniel refers to him, and I've talked about this in previous weeks. Uh, John in, in heaven, talking to, uh, speaking, or giving to us the book of Revelation, calls him the beast. And he's not called the Antichrist there, he's called the beast. And here, he's not called the Antichrist or the beast, he's called the man of lawlessness or the son of destruction. So it's all the same person. And he says, I told you that the day of the Lord would be marked by the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, dominating the world and, and by an actual event, uh, which is called the apostasy here. Paul says you can't be in the day of the Lord because the apostasy has to come first. Now, he's reminding them of what that is. He's reminding them that they should be comforted by the fact that well, you, you, all you need to do is remember that the, if, if the apostasy hasn't come, then the Lord, the day of the Lord cannot have come. The man of lawlessness has to be revealed, the son of destruction, that has to be in place before the day of the Lord explodes in full fury. That has not happened. So, what is he talking about in verse 3 when he says, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. It refers to the day of the Lord unless the apostasy comes first. Well, what is the apostasy? You would seem to have to know that for you to move forward with this. So what does he mean, the apostasy? Well, we've talked about it already. I'll give you a brief review. The apostasy, it literally means the defection. It is an event clearly and specifically identifiable by the descriptive the, T-H-E, the apostasy. There can be all kinds of apostasies in, in past history, and there have been. Uh, this is the apostasy. It is a specific apostasy, the consummate act of rebellion, an event of final magnitude. To identify the event, we must identify the person connected to the event, which is the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, or, as we're calling him, the Antichrist. All three names are the same person. So, you're not in the day of the Lord unless there has been the rise of the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. In the middle of that period of time, there will be an ultimate apostasy, that event that triggers the final explosion of divine wrath in the latter half of the day of the tribulation period. Now, the tribulation period, and again, some of this is kind of a summary uh, kind of way, but it's also I'm going to be giving you more information than what I've been giving you out of the book of Revelation because this is information that's not over in Revelation, but yet it's so critical to our understanding. You see, the Antichrist is going to do that act. What act? That act of apostasy. You can see it very, very clearly. Look at verse 4 in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, He who opposes or exalts himself above every so-called God, uh, or object of worship, so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. That is what the Antichrist will do in that period of time, 
known as the tribulation period of seven years, he will enter the temple, he will desecrate the temple, he will blaspheme the temple, he will blaspheme the true God. This is all described back in Daniel as well as in Revelation, specifically Revelation 13 and specifically in Daniel chapter 7, 9, and 11 of Daniel. Now, it even refers to uh, our referred to by our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter twenty four verse fifteen. This is what Daniel calls, and this is what Jesus says in Matthew twenty four fifteen. This is what Daniel calls the abomination of desolation. In the future time, the time when the Antichrist has taken rule over the world, he will go into Jerusalem or the Jewish temple, the new temple that's not there yet. It will be built during the tribulation period. It will be the tribulation temple. It's not the millennial kingdom. That will be another temple during the millennium. This temple is the tribulation temple. At the beginning of the seven years, he will come in peace. Now, we don't see him as peace coming here because you have to add the other chapters and verses, and that is in Revelation. He's introduced to us coming at the very beginning of the tribulation period in Revelation chapter 6. He's presented to us as the rider on a white horse. Notice it says in Revelation chapter 6, and you don't have to turn there, you can just stay with me and listen. He, he, has, a, he has a bow, but he has no arrows, and symbolizing the fact that he will be coming a peaceful kind of conquering. He makes a pact, according to Daniel chapter 9, with the nation of Israel to protect Israel. Now, why would they need protection? Because there's a lot of things that will be happening just before that comes to pass in which he will be protecting Israel. He, remember now, will be a global leader, probably just have come to power. He is a, will be a world leader. He looks like a world savior, the way he's going to present himself. Uh, he will look like the protector of Israel. And once his power is sealed, or solidified and settled in the middle of that seven-year period, in other words, halfway through, three and a half years, he will commit what is called, that we've already referred to as the abomination of desolation. Yes, that's what he's going to do. He's going to turn on Israel, the very nation that he signed the peace treaty with for seven years. He's going to break it. He's going to turn on Israel, begin to slaughter as many as he can slaughter in other words, it's going to be, as, as we could put it, all hell's going to break loose right there. Uh, we're going to see in Revelation chapter 9, you're going to see demons releasing, being released from, from the pits of the center of the earth or from the Euphrates River. All that is in Revelation chapter 9. You can go back and listen to that message if you choose to. Uh, the earth is going to be overrun by a satanic uh, demonic beings. The Antichrist will set himself up in the temple and declare himself as God. That will be the ultimate blasphemy of the Antichrist. So there's a lot that's going to be happening. The Thessalonians cannot be in the day of the Lord. There's no great global leader. And so uh, you're not in that day. So that hadn't happened yet. So not only don't be deceived, don't be forgetful, but number three, don't be ignorant. Now, this is going to be something I'm going to try to get through this at at all costs, I'm going to try. Uh, I don't want it to go long, but if I don't, don't worry. The next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at this along with Daniel, along with some more out of Revelation, and we're going to see how much we can glean, glean from these, uh, the Word of God on the, who the Antichrist is. So don't be ignorant. Now, ignorant is a very important word. Don't be ignorant to certain his, his readers. Don't be ignorant of the Antichrist. 
he does some very interesting things here in doing this. It begins in verse 6 and goes through verse 9. He gives us four different aspects or features or characteristics, whatever you want to call them, uh, of this one called the son of destruction or the, uh, the man of lawlessness or, as we're calling him, the Antichrist. Four different features. So don't be ignorant of these four. And he lays them out beginning in verse 6 through verse 9. So number one, he says, don't be ignorant of his revelation. Uh, there is going to be a revealing here of him. He will be revealed, but you won't know it until then. So number one, he is revealed. He will be revealed. Verse 6, look how he says this. You And you know what restrains him now so that in his time he may be revealed. He's talking about the revelation of this. He's talking about the revelation of the Antichrist. He uses the word revealed there in verse 6. He used it on the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness in verse 3. He will be revealed. He uses it again in verse 8. The lawless one will be revealed. So there is a revelation of the Antichrist. You could say that there is an incarnation uh, that is an incarnation. He will be revealed, but not now. You know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. You know that he is being restrained now. How did they know that? Because Paul had taught them that when he was with them, important information for them. The Antichrist has not come, could not come until his time, because he was a subject to what to that which restrains him. Now listen to this. In other words, what holds him down or what holds him back? What is suppressing that is what he is actually saying here. What's holding him back? What is restraining him? I would assume that Satan would have liked to have had the Antichrist long ago, years ago. Perhaps uh, he wanted uh, the Antichrist to be some Caesar. or We don't know what, what all in the past Satan has tried to do to bring about this major world threat or to believer threat to have the world leader as an antichrist of this power and this magnitude. Maybe he wanted the Caesar to do it, but Satan was restrained. It did not happen. Perhaps some great murderous conqueror through human history, but Satan could never do that because he was restrained from doing that. Perhaps even Hitler, and I'm going to talk about Hitler next week, so I don't want to get much into that. But he perhaps he wanted Hitler uh, Satan's next target could have been him to use him as a, as an effort. Uh, we don't we don't know who he really has tried to go after, but the point is he hasn't been able to accomplish that. Evil man to become the final antichrist, it has not been able to be worked out. But even he couldn't pull it off. He's he was restrained, or on other kinds of people like Stalin. Uh, in many he could have used, but he couldn't. He was restrained. But they're all held back. It hasn't happened. We haven't seen the, T-H-E, Antichrist, the one spoken of here. We haven't seen a global leader who rules the world by peace, who makes a pact with Israel to be their protector, violates the pact, sets himself up as God in the temple. Oh, something's holding this back. Something is preventing Satan from doing this. Well, what is it? 
Wait, what, what is it? Some people think it's the preaching of the gospel because Matthew 24, 14 says the gospel has to be preached. Christ will come. It has to be preached to the ends of the earth. So it is the preaching of the gospel that is holding Satan back. Well, no. I mean, I'm sure that part of that is, is the reason, but it's not the full reason. Some have suggested that it's a, a special kind of binding of Satan. Well, Satan is bound, well, not here, but Satan, we do know he's going to be bound during the millennial kingdom. Uh, so some people think it's the church that says the church is to be the salt and the light. Well, salt and light are not restraints. Salt is a preser- for preservation. Light is for truth, a symbol of truth and righteousness. So God and his people have preserved truth and righteousness in the world. But that's not the same as restraining fact. In fact, the Bible is clear that evil men are getting worse and worse. Evil is escalating. So the church is obviously the greatest blessing in the world, but the embodiment of the gospel and saving truth, but the church can't be the restrainer. Some people have suggested, based on Romans 13, it's the government is the restrainer. The government is restraining Satan. Well, that's not true. There's no effort made on the part of the government to deal with supernatural entities at all. Some people think it's the principle of law, morality, or the fabric of the culture, the human heart. Well, no, that can't be it either. Some commentaries years ago used to think it was the Roman Empire, but that's not even around anymore. Uh, Michael the Archangel can tell you just how powerful it is, if you read Daniel, and uh, how powerful it is to deal with the, Satan. We can't control Satan. Michael found that out, as recorded in the ninth verse of Jude. They're all human efforts or angelic efforts. No human effort can restrain Satan. There's only one in the universe who can restrain Satan. Well, who is it? Well, keep in mind, the devil is, is, is God's devil. In other words, God is in charge of the devil. He can hold him back. He can tie his hands. He can restrain him. He never goes beyond the boundaries of what God permits. The power that holds back Satan from beginning the Antichrist's final apostasy is the Lord himself. So there's a power in operation that holds back Satan's plan. The man of sin cannot come until the restraining power is released. That's what this verse 6 and 7 are telling us. The Thessalonians knew this, so... They should have known that they were not in the day of the Lord because the Antichrist had not yet appeared. The reason for the restraint, back to verse 6, it says that in his time he may be revealed. That's why it's being restrained. So that he can be revealed at God's appointed time. Job 42 uh, 2 says when Job learned his lesson, he said, No purpose of yours can be thwarted. In Isaiah 46.10, my purpose, says God, will be accomplished. Not Satan, not demons, not human forces, not devilish plans or purpose can operate until God allows it. God's plan and God's power control everything. Evil will never pass beyond God's limits. I think it's an important thing for us to remember. And I'm trying to kind of rush through some of this. I hope I'm not speaking too fast. But uh, it tells us here in verse 6, He will be revealed in the time, His time. God has an appointed time, and it hasn't come yet, that is going to be there in the tribulation period. And this is very interesting because you remember Galatians 4, 4 says that Christ came, and it says, and it, says it this way, when the fullness of time was come, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son. That was in the plan of God, a time for the incarnate Son to, of God to come. Jews had waited centuries and centuries but he could not come until the appointed time. And so God, 
as he has ordained a time for his son, the incarnate son of God. God has ordained a time for the appearing of the man in whom Satan will work through. The appearing will be God's plan. So he is being restrained. Now get the picture. Satan wants basically to copy Christ, to have a human being supernaturally empowered. His false Christ, pseudo-Christ, antichrist, but he will not come until God's time permits it. Isn't that amazing? Now look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. This is not... this is not to say there isn't lawlessness. He is a man of lawlessness. He is the final, ultimate embodiment of lawlessness. It's just a long word for sin, rebellion against God. That man of sin, that man in whom Satan dwells, that man who is like 10,000, uh, I guess you could say Hitlers, that man has not come. But lawlessness is already at work because, as John says in 1 John chapter 4, there are many antichrists, and we'll look at that next week too. The, the spirit of antichrist is everywhere. Whoever denies that Jesus has come into flesh, that is an antichrist spirit. But the mystery of lawlessness, well, what is that? It is the unrevealed aspect of lawlessness. When you see the word mystery, we're not talking about some kind of a, a mystery novel here. We're talking about a word that means something hidden, not yet revealed. The gospel of the New Testament is the mystery in the sense that it wasn't fully revealed in the Old Testament. The rapture of the church is called a mystery. It wasn't revealed in the Old Testament until we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the believer as in Christ, the mystery revealed in the New Testament. Paul is an apostle of the mysteries, things hidden in the past that are now being revealed through Paul. The resurrection is a mystery that is now revealed. So the mystery, hidden reality of the revelation of the Antichrist has not yet come. That's the point. So we, we see that. Now, I, I hear so many people say, I've even had served under pastors, <coughs> excuse me, that say, wait, you know, I don't agree with Revelation because, you know, the Antichrist has already come. I mean, I forget the first time the pastor, one of my pastors said that to me. I was his uh, singles minister in another church, in another state. And when he said, that this, wait a minute, I believe the Antichrist came already. I, you know, and I know I must have sounded like a fool, but I said, really? When did he come? I, 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 I missed it. I haven't heard it. I hadn't seen it. I hadn't read it. He said, wait a minute, I don't want to debate you, but the Antichrist has already come. So I looked at him, and by the way, he had just hired me on staff. And so I looked at him, I said, wow. We really are different in eschatology, aren't we? He said, wait a minute, I'm not even, I don't even want to debate it or talk to you about it right now, but we'll talk about it in another time. So the mystery that he's talking about here, the hidden reality of the revelation of the Antichrist, hasn't come. It will come in the future, but the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Lawlessness is unfolding all around us. We see that in, in, in several of the passages of New Testament. Evil men get worse and worse. And by the way, evil grows fast and far. I mean, we see that. It, you don't have to get very far in the book of Genesis, I think, chapter 6, and you see that God has to destroy the world. Lawlessness is everywhere. Only verse 7, it says here, He who now strains will do so until he's taken out of the way. The Antichrist hasn't come yet. The spirit of Antichrist has, as we see in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 18. 
already in operation, but the man who finally will embody that spirit in a consummate way and will rule the entire world is not yet revealed. So I hear people trying to guess. Well, guess what? If you guess it, you won't know you guessed it. You won't be able to figure out who the end-time person is. You can't know it. Taken out of the way is a word. Restraints taken out of the way is what it means, taken out of the way. Uh, we face then the question, what is this power that can do that? Well, I've just said, it's divine. The Lord himself. And the best answer to who it is, it's the Holy Spirit. He's the divine one who strives with the sinners in Genesis 6. He is the divine one who convicts of sin and righteousness, as John chapter 15 talks about in 16. He is that one. Until the Holy Spirit gets out of the way, the Antichrist cannot come. Now, does that mean that the Holy Spirit leaves the world? God, I wanted to get to this point because I've actually heard that. Well, the Holy Spirit leaves in the rapture. No, he doesn't. That is a false teaching. First of all, that's impossible because he's omniscient, omnipresent. He knows everything. You can't take the Holy Spirit out of the world. He is everywhere, so he's not going to leave the world. Furthermore, there's not. Uh, there, furthermore, there's going to be a massive revival during the tribulation period. There's going to be a lot of people saved after the rapture. Revelation says people will be converted, saved from every tongue, tribe, nation, and people. Massive, innumerable, probably thousands or maybe millions of people converted. We don't know how many, but Revelation chapter 6, we see a group of them. In Revelation 14, we see a group of them. Uh, Revelation 7, we see a group of them. The nation Israel converts 144,000 12,000 from each tribe. We see that in Revelation 7. Nobody could believe. Nobody could be regenerated. Nobody could be born again if there weren't a Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will be here. And sure, the rapture of the church is going to happen. And we have the Holy Spirit within us. We're going to be raised. But that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit gets out with us. That The Holy Spirit will be here and working in the earth. But he will also be with us in heaven. Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So the work of salvation, sanctification, the spread of the gospel is the work of the Spirit. So it doesn't mean there's no Holy Spirit here. That would not be possible. What it does mean is that he stops the restraining work. He holds back Satan. He's restraining Satan from sending the Antichrist. It can't happen. There's no permission given. Remember, sovereignty of God, God gives permission. He doesn't ask permission. Satan has to ask permission. Satan can't give permission. So there, there's the difference there. Satan, or the Antichrist, will show up. He will show up at the beginning of the, that week of the tribulation, as I said, deceived. Uh, with the, the, he'll be riding a, a white horse and a bow, no arrows. It uh, doesn't take long before all kinds of judgments were gonna, are going to break out, and the people will begin to realize this world ruler uh, has all the answers, but yet he's going to turn and do the very opposite. He's going to blaspheme God. He's going to go after Israel and slaughter as many Jews as possible. I've got to stop here or I'm going to be going too long. See, I knew I couldn't finish this, but Satan wants a man and he wants this man. So he's still, still future. Who's the Antichrist? Well, we don't know. His time of revelation has not come. But listen, I want, I want to take the time to say thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Hope for the heart. Again, my name is William Rogers. We're teaching through the book of Revelation. 
And even though this text is not specifically Revelation, it, it it's compatible with Revelation 13. So I look forward to you uh, joining us next time. May the Lord bless you, and thank you for joining us today.